0: Worrying is a superstitious behavior. Mm. It changes nothing. You know, you're somewhere and then all of a sudden people throwing salt over their shoulders or not walking under ladders. We laugh at those because we can see how ultimately disconnected they are with reality. Mm. But worriers believe that worry is necessary and that if you don't worry, the disaster that you've predicted, the increased probability of it happening.
1: Welcome to Dear Sister, a womankind podcast hosted by me, Nina, and my sister, Ruby. We are so excited to welcome New Zealand psychologist and author Gwendolyn Smith onto the podcast today. Now, let's just put it out there first. I'd consider myself a certified overthinker, but I think this one is going to be so relevant for everyone because we all know what it feels like to overthink to some degree. Our mum presented me with this book one day saying, Rubes, I got you a book and I think you'll like it. The title of the book was The Book of Overthinking. It seemed like a bit of a dig at the time, but boy, am I glad I got my hands on it. What I love reading about your writing is that it's ridiculously relatable, but put in a way that doesn't make you feel like a freak. And I found myself laughing so many times thinking this reminds me so much of me. So let's delve into it a little more. So you trained as a clinical psychologist in the 70s. What inspired your career?
0: Um, It was actually sort of a lazy decision-making process. I mean, I chose a whole lot of subjects as an undergraduate and um, failed some, didn't turn up for some, and then just found my way narrowing it down into subjects that I enjoyed which was psychology. And then I did a double major in um, sociology. So it wasn't like I really had any big plan. I want to be a psychologist. I mean, you didn't really have to in those days, girls. Mm. You know, 70s, education was free, living was cheap, mm. holiday jobs were plentiful, um, it wasn't the sort of high pressured meal ticket, make a decision about what you're going to do pressure that your generation has, for instance.
1: It's very interesting. And I guess you said that you kind of fell into it by basing your subjects off things that you enjoy. Do you still think that that would be the advice that you would give girls who have just finished, you know, their senior year of school and trying to work out what they want to do?
0: Yeah, I do, where, where that's possible. Um, I think the other thing to remember is that a bachelor's degree is really just like a driver's license. You get your driver's license, then you go out and you learn how to drive. Mm. And when an employer, you know, is looking at um, an okay. academic resume, for instance, um, The bachelor degree shows them that the individual has been able to sit still long enough to complete something.
1: (laughs) That's it, isn't it?
0: But the bachelor's degree itself may give you a foot in the door, particularly if you've gone quite specialized into IT or business or the arts or, you know, so your initial subject choice may guide you into something. But I... I think it's important not to get too hung up Hmm. with an undergraduate degree.
1: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I love how you put it about it being a driver's license. It definitely is in this day and age, just gives you the opportunity to explore other things and, you know, to pursue work in, you know, a range of different things. Yeah, I think so. I know that you say that in today's urban jungle, anxiety prevails as the epidemic, In your opinion, what is the main kind of catalyst for this?
0: Those questions are always difficult to answer because they're asking, those sorts of questions are asking for an answer to be quite reduced Mm. into, okay, well, here's the problem here. But, you know, life's much more complicated than that. I mean, for a long time, Um, whenever I do interviews, particularly when I did the Book of Knowing, which was the teenage book. um, It was, is it Facebook? Is it social media? Is it Twitter? Is it the internet? You know, with this big, big focus. Um, And the research was reluctant to just go, yes, it is that. Mm. Yes, it is that one thing. But I think with the um, with the Facebook whistleblower who's been in the news recently, I think what what she has exposed is that use of algorithms, mm. you know, yeah. to specifically target, um, and the use of information to specifically target, and of course the the data that's coming out is the um, <clears throat> highly negative impact that it has on um young females mm. with with the body image stuff, and the body image stuff has been enough of a problem over the years. But um, <clears throat> now you can curate your own face.
1: Yeah, that's As such can a good
0: blow up your lips. You can change your eyes. You can tweak your butt. You know, like. You, you can have all those things at your fingertips yeah. and then of course these will often become images that will um, be aspired to and then of course if someone leaps onto the plastic surgery bandwagon which younger and younger girls are doing um, and I guess what distresses me is that they're not paying for it, their mothers are <laughs> Got that weird thing. Um, But so, I mean, even what we were talking about before about, you know, like when you go into university, you've got to make a decision about this and you've got to get this and you've got to get A's and you've got to do and do and do. And that's why you notice in the um, big performance based Asian cultures, Mm. this is why you have such phenomenal suicide rates and mm-hmm. youth because of just the whole what will that mean will you lose face with the family if you fail and so just you know that that sort of enormous pressure then you've got your social media pressure then you've got um stuff that's just about day-to-day life you know like getting money to to pay for what you do and the other thing that i really feel for on behalf of your generation is the horrific student debt
1: mm, that's a very good I mean
0: that, that's huge so you get this massive debt and then you've got to spend the first decade of your adult life paying back debt
1: yeah absolutely you know? and I think that if you find yourself in a position of not loving your degree and you'll say 12 months into it or even six months into it Part of your mind does think, well, I've already spent this much money on starting it. I might as well finish it. When really, like the burden that that's having on you is not worth, you know, the money, but it is still a factor that you consider. I
0: mean, I think if I had a child, if I had a young adult child, I would be having big discussions about going into the trades. Absolutely. Because over here, I don't know what Australia's like, but over here, your education, you get paid
1: mm. while you're
0: being educated, not much, but um, but then you've got a skill.
1: Yes, a practical skill.
0: You can you can travel the world being a plumber.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it's a universal skill. Like that's that's exactly right. Yeah. So I guess a lot of the, like a lot of what we talk about related back to pressure, whether it was family pressure, educational pressure, social pressure. Um, And I think especially with the social media, it's an interesting one because I think our generation is kind of the first generation to be exposed to a form of addiction at such a young age in being the algorithms that we're fed and the images that we see online that kind of do warp our perspective of what it means to just be a normal person
0: yeah that's true
1: so you've um now published several books which one has been your favorite to share with the readers
0: well I've got a soft spot for all of them um because the first the the first book was on the psychology of male friendship Mm -hmm. that was never a big hit it was a bit far ahead of its time then I did the two depression books And a passion came from those because of my own bipolar disorder. Then the breast cancer book, you know, I was passionate about that because I just had a double mastectomy. So all the books have a place in my life. Um, But this series, Knowing, Overthinking and Angst, um, I think these are the ones that have um, got the most reach with people. It's in... Several languages now, and um, and what would be, I mean, I again I like them all, but I think that overthinking is certainly the jewel in the crown
1: yeah. because,
0: yeah. um, so many people relate to it, um, so it just touched a lot more people It had a much wider spread, whereas angst is more specifically. Mm. to do with um social anxiety disorder yeah the yeah, fear which is also very common with um your generation
1: yeah absolutely mm-hmm. I think that would be a really popular read for our audience yeah for sure um but yeah I totally agree the book of overthinking there's something in that book that everyone could relate to I think and especially for me who suffers from health anxiety the chapter or the words that you wrote about that were just so they were so funny but they were so true and I think that so many people would pick up the book and feel reassured just by how accurately you write about those feelings and experiences because by reading it I felt like well if an author is writing it exactly how I feel it it must mean that it's a lot more universal than just what I feel like is going on in my head. So I think that yeah. it, yeah, it was really reassuring for me and I would definitely encourage everyone to have a read of it. Yeah. And for those who haven't read the book of overthinking, how would you define overthinking?
0: When I'm working with my older clients and my practice, um, they will talk about worry and then as I sort of started concepting this book and then I, you know, and I have, because of the book of knowing, I've got a lot of um, young adults, you know, a lot of sort of 16 to 21 year olds. And um, so I would say to them, do you worry? No, no, I don't think i worry. No, mum does, but I don't. <laughs> and so then I'd say, would you say you were an overthinker and it was like fuck yeah no, I'm definitely
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah and but you see they're the same thing yes But one's contemporary terminology i mean if i did the book of worry it wouldn't be an excellent soldier on the shelves you know if i had book of worry you know yes. um but when i decided to call it the book of overthinking it just stretched the appeal. And I knew that it would, um, in that net, it would catch a younger audience, but they were just calling it overthinking and not worry. Mm. And um, then I had to go through this whole exercise in my head, well, is all overthinking negative? Mm. And I addressed that at the beginning of the book, that you can be really excited about a project or a party or a trip or something like that, and, that's, and you think about it all day and you wake up in the middle of the night and write little notes about yeah. what you've got to organize. And, and so you could say that, that that's overthinking, but it's not causing distress. Mm. Yeah. That's the difference. So then I decided to call it worrisome overthinking. So mm. overthinking with worry as its main content. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that that term, worrisome overthinking, really nailed it. So that because whenever you write a book, you always open yourself up to being criticized. Yes. And I got some email from some hater the other day, and I get more out of reading the Agony Aunt column in Australian Women's Weekly. And I thought, we'll just oh. go and read it then. <laughs> and, um, People have too much time. You know, and, and you can't make your mind up about <clears throat> overthinking and ruminating. And so you've just thrown this catchphrase, worrisome overthinking. And I just said, uh, get a life. Yeah. Go, and read, go and read the pop psychology column, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I loved how you wrote about it not always being a negative experience because I think, again, that's so relatable and, Even I think when you're manifesting something or you want, like you're thinking about your future and you're thinking about potential outcomes about a certain thing, like I would consider that overthinking. But as you said, sometimes it's actually productive to give things that extra bit of thought if it doesn't leave you feeling, you know, uncomfortable or a negative emotion. I guess back to you know me talking a bit about my health anxiety, I think that that's such a common thing for people to be experiencing at the moment in our world with COVID. And I know that we have talked a bit on our channel about how girls who had never experienced health anxiety are starting to feel it a bit more because they're exposed to so much media about you know, the impacts of COVID, the different symptoms that people have and there's this big kind of like cloud of fear around it, maybe less so now as more people are actually catching COVID. But I think it would be interesting to get your perspective, I guess, on some tips for managing those overwhelming thoughts in regards to COVID.
0: My publisher asked me if I was interested in doing um, something on eco, Anxiety, And I said, well, no, because um, it's all the same concept. You're worrying about the environment. You're worrying about a freckle being a cancerous mole. You're, you're worrying about whether you might have these symptoms of COVID. So the common denominator across all of these things is worry. like with eating disorders the anorexics worried about getting fat with sexual dysfunction people are worried about not performing with obsessive compulsive disorder people are worrying about germs contamination symmetry um with fear of flying people are worried about the plane crashing so the common denominator remains worry so if you know some of your audience were thinking oh well you know I really want something specifically about health anxiety or how to deal with COVID Mm -hmm. then just go to the book of overthinking because it's all the same story.
1: Yeah that's so true and it does apply to so many different things and I guess that takes me to ask you a bit about whether you could kind of explain the worry mantra of what if I found that really helpful in your book. And as you just said, a lot of the things that people worry about do come down to what if this happens? What if I have a panic attack on the plane? What if I catch COVID? So for the people that haven't read the book and might be interested, could you tell us a bit about that worry mantra of what if?
0: Okay, well, the cognitive theorists, they have a set of thought distortions, which in overthinking I've called um, thought viruses, which I didn't call them that in angst because we were in the middle of the first lockdown. <laughs> I didn't think about viruses gonna go down well. well. So, but they talk about the warrior is always predicting. What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? And the flavor of the prediction is always negative and the outcome, the bulk of the time is catastrophically bad.
1: Mm.
0: So it's predict a negative catastrophe. Well, anybody that's doing that is switching on their fight flight mechanism all the time, creating excess adrenaline and cortisol, the stress hormone Mm. and placing, you know, unnecessary stress on the um on your immune system your sleep your gastrointestinal area um, headaches so that constant prediction of a disaster is what um is so destructive emotionally psychologically and physically
1: yeah absolutely and i think it is so interesting at the moment we as a society are so kind of cautious about having good immunity and you know making sure that we're the image of health when stress plays such a big part on how our immune system functions so if you can kind of manage that overthinking manage that worrying it is a lot more beneficial than to just let it sit there
0: yeah yeah because The other thing that I've I've pointed out, Ruby, is that worrying is a superstitious behavior. Mm -hmm. It changes nothing. You know, you're somewhere and then all of a sudden people are throwing salt over their shoulders or not walking under ladders or (laughs) uh, doing this or doing that. And we laugh at those because we can see how ultimately disconnected they are with reality. Mm -hmm. But worriers believe that worry is necessary and that if you don't worry you're going to drop the ball Mm. and then if you drop the ball the disaster that you've predicted will in fact the increased probability of it happening yeah there's a lot of superstition mythology and beliefs that maintain worry and one of the most difficult things in therapy is to um, convince people that worry is, in fact, nothing more than a superstitious behavior that upsets your system.
1: Wow, I think that's like very profound what you just said. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah, and I feel like when you look back at your life and think of all of the things that you worried about, maybe. of those things or more never happened. So, you think that's so much wasted energy on fearing an outcome that you don't even know is going to happen or not? At
0: the back of overthinking, there's a really nice table and it's a decision making map and it's very lineal and it's very structured. See, worry is ruminative. So, it goes round and round and round and round and round and round in circles Mm -hmm. and people don't know how to get out. And that's in terms of the skill base of the book, learning how to get out of that spiral is one of the main strategies to learn. But I mean, the more structured map towards the back of the book is about what am I concerned about? I'm concerned about not passing this exam. Is there anything you can do about that right now? No, because it's two o'clock in the morning. Okay, well, <laughs> when could you do something about it Um, tomorrow and Friday okay well for now just leave it Mm. because you can't do anything it's two o'clock in the morning but if you're concerned about something put an action plan in place
1: and is that what you refer to as a thought record in your book
0: The thought record is a um, very small diary and it, it enables you to list the details of how you're thinking because it's not the what you're thinking that's relevant in cognitive therapy. It's how you think. So if you're catastrophizing, predicting negative events, If you've got social anxiety, you're busy mind reading. If you're doing all those things, um, that's going to cause problems for you. Mm. But of course, until you start studying the science, you're not really aware that that's what you're thinking. So the thought diary is a way of looking at your thoughts and identifying where the distortions are
1: writing those um thought records is something that everyone could benefit from because it doesn't have to take a lot of time you know and you don't even have to physically write it down on the paper if you've got the you know basic idea of it from the book you can just do it in your head or you can write it in, in the notes on your phone and it might just you know provide you with a bit more clarity around what it is that's making you over yeah yeah how would you say is a good method to stop your mind from just wandering further and further you know when you're overthinking and you just keep overthinking more in a negative sense how would you say to just stop
0: okay well again towards the back of the book there's a whole lot of little statements and questions and they're called in cognitive theory they're called flashcards and again. You can put these on your phone. Mm -hmm. Some people have them as little cards, Mm -hmm. carry them around in their wallet. But probably one of the most popular ones with with my clients is how is this thinking helping me? So you ask the brain, there you are, you're going, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if, negative, 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 negative. And you pose a question to the brain, which is, okay, now, how is this thinking helping me? Now, the only answer the brain can come back with is, well, it's not.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's so true.
0: So then you would use distraction.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Distraction is very powerful yeah. um, in the treatment of this. So, But the question will sidetrack the brain, whereas if you remember the camels, Ruby, in the front of the book, if you say to the brain, don't think about this, don't think about that, stop worrying, stop worrying, stop worrying, it won't respond. In fact, it will think about the subject that you don't want it to think about even more. Mm. So, you know, like I use the little example in the book of, you know, like, while I'm talking to you too, I don't want you thinking about camels. I don't want you seeing camels. Yeah. I don't want you imagining camels. I don't want you to see camel cushion covers. And of course the brain's just going, there's just camel <laughs> after camel after camel. So
1: It's so true.
0: There is absolutely no point mm. in going, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't yeah. work.
1: Yeah. it's it, it is all about mindset, isn't it? And just, Training your brain to shift its way of thinking, I guess. And as you said, when you're not focusing on the thing that's causing you worry, it's less likely to kind of compound into something else or continue to be something that causes you a lot of distress, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you've obviously written a lot of books now. You have, I guess, a lot of experience as an author. What advice would you give to girls who are aspiring to become authors or who love writing but don't know, you know, are scared that they don't know, don't have what it takes to kind of be an author? What advice would you give them?
0: Again, I think it's one of those things that you've got to be um, quite passionate about because it's a highly competitive world, Mm. publishing. It always has been, but it's more so now. I mean, I can't remember the name of it, but I do know there are websites, for instance, that you can go into and you can um, put something out, you know, like creative short story, for instance. Mm -hmm. And if people like what you've written, as usual, you get followed. So you get sort of like some feedback and a bit of reinforcement Mm -hmm. on your writing through those sorts of websites yeah. um it's not a money-making venture I mean I've the book of series of you know I mean I'm not retiring but I've made more money out of these than any of the others you know even just to um to get point of sale in a shop
1: mm.
0: you know so much you've got to go through I mean you've got to get published then the sales reps have got to sell it in and then you're dealing well I'm not, but they are dealing with the retailers and so don't don't whatever you do go into it because you think you're going to be JK Rowling.
1: Yeah. 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 Do you have plans, Gwendolyn, to write any other books in this series?
0: Yeah, I've just I've just started one. I I decided that I would look at um, depression. Mm-hmm. Because all these books are about anxiety. So um, I've just just started that one last week. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but it's it's going to be, it won't have depression
1: yeah. stamped
0: on the cover. I'll do a similar thing that I did with overthinking, so it's softer. Yeah. And people think, oh, yeah, okay. Feeling blue. Okay, right. Yeah, that's okay. me. You know, whereas if, if you put, like, the Book of Dep- depression was depression explained right center cover so it's not really a coffee table book
1: yeah Yeah. it's very true and I think it you know those big words anxiety and depression they have become you know probably always been very intimidating and there is still that sticker around those words so I know even if this was called the book of anxiety I wouldn't have been as interested or as open to reading or learning from it because of just simply that word whereas overthinking is you know so much more relatable and um yeah less frightening I guess yeah what advice do you give to teenage girls of today with everything to do with overthinking depression everything you specialize in
0: well to to put To sort of encapsulate that, um, I think what I would encourage is don't fall into a trap of being needy. It cramps your style. It causes a lot of emotional upset. And you see in that, in puberty, um, when mother nature's got the programming going in for breeding and being part of a group, this is often where you see social anxiety in that fourteen, fifteen mm-hmm. year group, and again, so it's and if you go back to our social media thing, it's the um, it's the need to have likes, it's the need to be approved of, it's the need to be part of the eighteen, it's the need to have a boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I, I just think that if there was anything that I wished that maybe I would have done differently is is not fall into that trap of I need to be in a relationship or I need to have a boyfriend or you know like all of this neediness and um I think that you know the young woman like my illustrators for all three of the books I mean they're just they're just very dedicated to what they do
1: yeah
0: know to art to architecture to you name it so they're just they're busy having a life Mm. and if you meet someone along the way that's nice but don't don't give up yourself just to be in a relationship
1: yeah I sure love that advice I think it's so relevant and I think the the need as you say to have all these things I think comes a lot of the time from pressure yeah, um, yeah which you said before, like the pressure to want these things, the pressure to need them, the pressure to have them. So I think that's so true in encouraging girls to ground themselves and realise that if those things are going to happen, it will be much more enjoyable if they happen naturally and when you're not, you know, actively trying to make all of these things fall into place. Yeah.
0: You see, that's the other thing with um, those dating apps. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I had a client... But she sort of got to the stage in her therapy where she decided that she, she wanted to start dating. She got on those apps and it was like, if someone got back to her, her mood would go like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Kind
0: of blocked it or ghosted it or whatever the fuck it is. Her mood, would, her mood would go like that. So all of a sudden her moods were just completely at the mercy of someone coming through on Bumble or something you yeah. know and I mean it wasn't you know like this I certainly wouldn't be saying well look you were much happier when you weren't doing that and when you were abstinent because that that was part of her development was to want to meet someone and and, and want to have someone to share experiences with mm. but it was a rocky rocky road and um brought up a whole lot of you know a whole lot of trauma from childhood and rejection and abandonment and yeah, all yeah. that sort of stuff so it activated another big therapeutic peak
1: mm, yeah um, it is interesting how we like a lot of people use these apps to, you know find love or find a relationship whether they want it to be something serious or just something fun but yeah you know the terms of ghosting and all of that stuff has become so popular and you're putting your I guess contentment or your joy or your happiness completely in the hands of other people like are they going to match back with me are they going to you know super like my profile or just like my profile are they going to ghost me like there are so many outcomes that you really don't have any control over and the only way that you can to some degree influence that is by you know the pictures that you post or what you write on your profile and I think that even that in itself is something that just doesn't feel natural when you think of forming relationships with people yeah
0: the book of knowing has a lot about that about text messaging phoning and all the sort of cognitive traps that that occur when you're trying to, because the, the whole thing about um, technology is that you're constantly trying to interpret, mm. you know, and reading between the lines, and mm. one kiss means this, and two kisses means that, and yeah. if, if there's a delay of 15 minutes, that means this, and this means that. And, um, you know, so all of those tricks, all of those tricks of the mind are activated, Mm. um, you know, with the likes of, you know, thumbs up and hearts and, Mm. you know, likes and all of this sort of stuff. It's just a constant catalyst for emotional upset
1: yeah definitely that whole idea of a notification is so interesting like the the emotions that come about from different notifications that pop up and you know you don't you might be having such a good morning you know you feel like you're on top of the world and then you get a notification that upsets you and it's like change your mood entirely and I think that yeah giving other people that control to influence like how you respond to notifications is
0: quite confusing for a lot of people
1: mm-hmm. well thank you so much Gwendolyn I think we've asked you well and truly enough questions and this chat has been so fantastic so thank you so much yes thank you
0: that's okay so I would say for your audience yep. go for that one
1: the book of knowing okay
0: and then if you wanted to do something specifically on social phobia maybe next year or later on in the year that's that one
1: yeah i think that would be really helpful doing yeah. something on social anxiety that is such a definitely very relevant yeah it's such a common thing that we have people talk about
0: okay cool right well i better clean up the mess from my dinner party <laughs> <gasps> can't hear anybody else doing it so um looks yeah. like it'll be my job
1: Don't forget to subscribe to the Dear Sister podcast so that you're the first one to know when our next episode drops. We hope you have a beautiful day and don't forget to stay kind.